Hey everyone, it's Tom Kradza, and on this episode of the Your Life, Your Term show, I sit down with Anthony Molinero and Aiden Kradza. Anthony Molinero is one of the membership coordinators here at Rockstar. He handles a ton of different stuff. It feels like every week here we have multiple classes going on. We're planning for upcoming events. We have newsletters going out to all the Rockstar Inner Circle members. We have Best Buy property emails going out. We have Telegram groups for some uh, some groups of the membership. So there's just a whole bunch of stuff to manage. He's involved in all that kind of stuff. And Aiden Karadz is assisting in that area as well. He is here working with us at Rockstar on break from Western over the summer. And at lunch, we've been having kind of fun conversations about life and real estate and real estate prices and interest rates and debt and Bitcoin and the crypto space and where some of this thing is all, some of this stuff is all leading in the economy. And we thought, why don't we just sit down and record it as a podcast? They're enjoying the conversations. They had more questions for me. So we thought, okay, we'll sit down. They'll ask me some questions. I'll go ahead and do my best, very best to answer them in the way I see fit. And that's what this particular episode is. So if you're not already sick of hearing my voice, you may be at the end of this podcast as I spend some time answering their questions. But what we came to realize here, and I think this is going to affect some podcasts with some certain guests going forward, after the hour mark, we kind of got out of the way some of the standard stuff that we had already been talking about a little bit. And it was after that first hour where we recorded for a little longer, the conversation got a little more loose and a little easier and we were about to explore some more interesting concepts, I felt, and we wrapped it up because my schedule had to have a hard stop at that point. And I'm thinking perhaps with some guests, we're going to allow some of the Your Life, Your Terms podcast episodes extend beyond the hour mark that we've kind of booking them for up until this point. So get ready for that. We'll, we'll explore that a little bit and see how that works. But it just feels in the, f- the first hour with some guests specifically we are getting through some of the things we feel feel like we had to talk about, but the more interesting stuff was about to come next. So we'll see how that evolves. Just something I'm sharing. And, and the pace of the podcast right now has been about once a week. Nick and I are both uh, taking a bit of vacation over the month of July. So we've recorded these and we're putting them out and we'll pick up the pace a little bit towards the end of the summer. But we are definitely taking a bit of a break Um, especially through the month of July. So that's why the pace of the podcast is a tad slower than usual, but that will pick up again at some point. I'm not sure exactly when, but it will. And if you are listening to this and you want to jump into the world of real estate investing yourself for for you, your family, for your future, and you want to explore it, you're not sure if you even want to do it, but you want more information to help you decide, you can come to our next, it used to be a 90 minute because we're doing them online. It's about a 60 minute class. And then we do some Q&A afterwards. And the Q&A ends up being about a full 45 minutes, almost like a second class. So you can register for that. And that's where we describe the different real estate investing we're doing with investors here at Rockstar all through the greater Toronto area and across the Golden Horseshoe with the different property types, different strategies on the property types. We talk about financing methods here in 2021, the whole bit. You can register for that next introductory real estate training class at CanadianRealEstateTraining.com. That's www.CanadianRealEstateTraining.com. If you grab a seat there, the next date that we have booked, you will be confirmed. You'll get all the details in your email when you register for that class. And you can learn more about that class on that website. And that URL again is CanadianRealEstateTraining.com. That's enough for the intro. Let's get on with the show. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy. 
health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. Okay, we are live with Anthony Molinero and Aiden Carazza. And I'm saying it in this manner because Aiden is obviously my son. He's 19. He's working with us here this summer. And Anthony Molinero, I don't want to say stalked us because that sounds bad, but it kind of is what happened. And this is very instructive to anyone who wants to get a job, Anthony. Yeah. Because you just kept showing up. You were a rock star in our circle member. Yep. Yeah. And then you just started showing up at classes and asking Nick and I, not really asking us, we were hiring. To be fair, we were hiring. Yeah. And you just kept showing up with your resume. And I remember at one point in the old office, you walked in and Christine at the front said, hey, listen, these guys don't take meetings of anyone who just walks in from the front door. And you're like, yeah, that's fine. I'm here to meet with them. And Christina came wandering down to our office saying, there's this like kind of good, this guy, I don't know. He's some strange dude. <laughs> she didn't say strange dude. She's probably thinking it, who knows? Some yeah. strange dude at the front. Um, and he's got a resume, he's applying for a job. And in your defense of all these moves, I think really that put the odds in your favor because you were just hustling to get the job. I'm here now. So You're, yeah, it yeah. worked out. It worked out. And we're lucky. Anthony is a, a, a membership coordinator here and you're helping us with a bunch of other stuff because you now bought an investment property. You're reworking one of the cl- uh, the important classes here at Rockstar. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're, yeah, you've been a huge value to the whole team. So thank you for hounding us the way yeah, you did. You're happy I stalked you now. Totally grateful. Yeah. Totally, totally grateful. But that's not really what I wanted to say. I really wanted to tell everybody here that Aiden and Anthony are responsible for signing a lease at one of our student we rentals. Knew this was coming. Yeah, yeah. And just listen to this. So this is Anthony and Aiden going to sign a, a student rental. Nick and I have filled this particular student rental ourselves for, I would say, almost 20 years. And uh, they go down to fill the property and they come back with a lease signed. And uh, when I look at the <laughs> lease, uh, I think, first of all, we were like, hey, did you guys collect any money? And the answer was no, no, there's like no money collected. Oh, no, we got the money. Are you sure? Yeah, yeah, yeah we got yeah. the money. Yeah. D- did you? Yeah. Money was a priority. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, how much did you get? Five bucks? No, we got the full thing. Did you? Yeah, okay. we got the full In my thing. mind, you didn't collect money. Okay, I'll give you that. But then on, we look at the lease that you guys had signed. And I think Nick had to help you out with the lease because he was in the area filling another rental property. Yeah, I forgot to get the info from you uh, beforehand. So I think we had a blank lease at first. Yeah. Yeah, you guys didn't have like a name on the lease of who we were. <laughs> so, but the best part was when we looked at the lease, this is the part I really wanted to share with everyone. Aiden and Anthony, I don't know which one of you decided to do this. I think it was you, Anthony. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Anthony's pointing at Aiden. I look at the lease and it says, major, all major renovations to be completed. <laughs> yeah. And we're like, what does, Anthony, what major renovations? <laughs> what what exactly are we supposed to do to this house? You guys are a couple of good guys. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then the other thing was, in, entire house to be painted. <laughs> and we're like, what commitments are you making? I can rent out a house as well. If I make a commitment, hey man, we'll do a ton of major renovations and we'll paint everything. <laughs> I guess I could rent a property out too with those kinds of commitments. It's pretty easy. First, yeah. that was the first showing too. So yeah, yeah way to go. Yeah. First, <laughs> first day and we wrapped it up. Yeah, well, I, see job done. I see what kind of incentives you guys dropped to wrap it up. Hey man, yeah. we'll just renovate the entire house and we'll paint everything on you top. You said fill the property. We filled the property. <laughs> property was filled. <laughs> anyway, we ended up having to paint the whole house uh, because of that. There was no major renovations to do. So thankfully we didn't have to do any major renovations. Yeah. But yeah. 
if I haven't extended my thanks yet, thanks for making those commitments on our behalf in yeah. writing on a lease. Of course. Yeah, yeah. So uh, what are we talking? We were, you know, at, at lunch we sometimes talk about um, investing, the young generation, money, the future, skill development, and that kind of led to the idea of having this podcast. Mm -hmm. So what did you guys want to start with? Uh, your definition of the hurdle rate, what the hurdle rate was in Canada last year and what the hurdle rate will be going forward to your best guess. Because I think for any young person listening to this podcast, that just sets a really good framework for what's the cost of capital. Like, first of all, understanding the concept. And then second of all, once you understand that cost of capital, how can you go about navigating the market? What do you invest in to beat that cost of capital? And uh, I feel like that's just the starting point for if you want to get ahead, you have to understand what that hurdle rate is so you can jump the hurdle. Okay. So this is a, a huge topic and yeah, an important thing I think for all of us, not even young people to understand, all of us to understand. When we discuss the hurdle rate or the cost of capital, we're really looking at how much new money does the government of Canada stuff into the economy every year? And what does that do to the purchasing power of Aidan Carrazza and Anthony Molinaro? So for example, if the entire country of Canada had 1 million Canadian dollars circulating, and that was the entire money circulating in the economy, that was the entire count of all the Canadian dollars in the economy. But one year that went from 1 million Canadian dollars to 1.2 million Canadian dollars, what happened in that scenario? A 20% increase to the money supply. So yeah, a 20% increase. And when that happens, when you increase the money by 20%, to us, another way to describe the same thing is that it's devaluing the initial a million by 20%. Because there was a million to start with, and now there's 1.2 million. Okay. Now, is that devaluing certain things in the economy, certain goods and services, or is that devaluing all of the goods and services in the economy? Because everything might not go up at that 20% increase. Yeah. Okay. So, so good question. So, and, and, and first of all, that's what happened in the last 12 months here in this country. M2, and M2 is a technical economic term for our broad money supply. So sometimes you'll hear M1, which is base money, and that's stuff that basically the Bank of Canada or central banks use to fund the banking system. And then M2 is the actual money that gets circulated in the economy. Does that include debt, like credit card debt? I don't think it does include credit card debt. No. Okay. Um, it includes like, it would be something for me to check. You're, yeah, I, I don't know for certain. But yeah. it, it counts like... Money market funds, money in your checking account, saving account, that kind of stuff. Okay. Right? Hold on. You're, you're asking so many questions. I haven't even answered one of your questions yet. Give me yeah. a, one, one second. You, you said, does it affect everything equally? And it's a good question. So I want to mm -hmm. answer it. When money is created, money is created in our economy through new debt. The way money is created is that new debt is created. We are in a debt-based money system. So new debt is created and that's where money comes from. As by way of example, when Aiden Carrazza or Anthony Molinero go to buy an investment property and the day you go to the bank and you walk over to the bank to get the mortgage for that investment property and say the mortgage for that property is, you know, let's say it's a $600,000 investment property. You put, 
20% down. So you're signing a mortgage for $480,000 on that day. When you go to sign the paperwork for that $480,000 mortgage from the bank, what you are in effect doing, the moment you put your signature on that piece of paper, you are magically out of thin air creating 480,000 new dollars in the economy. That $480,000 did not exist until you created that new debt. So in that moment, you create, you are solely responsible for putting new money into the economy. And the reason that Nick and I like real estate so much, it's one of the very few ways that an average person, an average Canadian like myself, Nick, yourselves, can create new money. Only the banks can create money. But it's one of the few ways that you and I get to create money. Mm -hmm. So when we do that, we create new money. Now, the next thing to answer your question about evenly spread, new money affects where it enters the market. So new money affects things that, sorry, new money has the biggest effect on the things that are creating it. So real estate creates a lot of new money. It is closest to the money because money is being created when you're signing mortgages. Okay. Quick thing, correct me if I'm wrong, is I heard that's about 80% of new money creation. Is that close? Like mortgages? That, that real estate? No, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know. Okay. I'm not certain. Doesn't but what really I do matter. what I do know is that when new money is created, it, it affects the things that are closest to it. Mm-hmm. So because it is a high number, I wouldn't be surprised if it's something like 80%. Yeah. Real estate prices are highly correlated to the speed at which new money is created because it's the thing closest to the new money. So something like apples or bacon isn't as close to new money. Yeah. Be- so, so real estate is close to new money. Those things are further away. Your incomes, the incomes that you earn here at Rockstar are a few steps further away from that new money. So it's not as quickly affected by new money creation. So that's why we like real estate because real estate is literally at the forefront of new money creation. And to me, this is actually wrong. Like it shouldn't work like this, but because it does, you wanna own things that are closest to the new money creation. The other way new money is created, by the way, is if you pull out a Visa card, and Aiden, you have a Visa card now, um, when you pull out a Visa card and you spend at the at the store every day with a Visa card buying gas or a new hoodie or whatever you're going to buy, that moment that you go to pay with a Visa card, new money is also created because new debt is created. The Visa Visa company did not have the money in the bank to go and pay that merchant. They literally had the permission by the banking system here in Canada to create that money out of thin air. So you're creating new money all day. It's created with new debt. Mm-hmm. And real estate is a big player in that. It's the closest to the money. It's how you get rewarded the most. Um, so it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a big impact. And to answer your question, what things get affected most, the closer you are to the new money creation, those things get affected the quickest and the most. Yeah. You mentioned wages are further than real estate, which is true because that money would have to kind of be, you know, thrown around a bit before it ends up in let's say Rockstar's treasury, which is then used to pay our salaries. I'm just wondering what would be furthest? It's a tough question, but like, is it? Yeah, I don't know. I don't even know how to answer that question. Yeah, I'm not sure what's furthest. I just know what's closest and I want to be what's (laughs) close. I just want to be closest uh, to, to the money, but I guess, yeah, anything where you're a step away from the money creation, you're probably equal distance away from it. So 
I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what's furthest away. From Is there me. another yeah. example of something that close to the money creation other than real estate? Yeah. So and I, I know we were just saying real estate accounts for most of it. So yeah. I don't know if there would be. Yeah, and another way, yeah, another thing that's close to it is the banks, because if you own big shares in the banks, you're kind of getting the benefit of the new money creation because they are creating the money. It's why Canadian banks are always regarded as like amazing investments because they pay these dividends every year. And a lot of people look at Canadian banks as like the best thing to invest in because they make so much money that they can pay out this dividend to you every year and, and say, hey, Aiden, not only do you own some stock in our company, but here you're participating with this dividend in some of the revenues yeah. from this company. Mm -hmm. So being owning or, or being close to the banks or owning the banks is another way to participate in new money creation. Now, the banks are so leveraged that someone like Greg Foss, who you both know, he will also argue that the leverage in the banking system, the amount of debt that they create is actually dangerous to them. And they have some risks ahead that they may or may not be prepared for. So, you know, we can all argue about how, how good it is to own bank stocks. And, and it's very, it's almost like religious. People who own bank stocks are always like, bank stocks are the best thing in Canada to invest. Yeah. And then you meet someone like Greg and you hear that and you're like, well, I don't know about investing in bank stocks. But that would be another thing, bank stocks, because they're, they're participating yeah. in the creation of money. Totally. Yeah, I'm trying to think of, it, uh, of something to answer Anthony's question, like what's the furthest away? I've never looked at it that way. It's a, it's a good question. I've always mm -hmm. just thought, what's the closest? I want to cozy up to the closest uh, yeah. form of new money, not the not how, how far away. That's the main thing you got to know. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Okay. So back to the hurdle rate thing. If 20% of the Canadian dollar supply is created, does that mean real estate will probably closely correlate to that? If that's, let's say, the majority. Yeah, it's a tough question. Yeah, so last year, in the last 12 months, it totally seemed that, that it did. That yeah. money supply went up 20%. The average Toronto piece of real estate went up 20%. There was a big correlation. And mm -hmm. I think that correlation is important to like emphasize just because you don't realize or you're not seeing the money inflate like that until you compare the amount of money, like the increase in money in Canada and the percentage of homes that are going up. So yeah, I think that's important to like... Yeah. look at yeah and and very few people tie it together like that but there are other variables like if you look in the u.s their housing prices have been so all over the map that it's it's probably not a perfect way to analyze because their housing prices like peaked in 2008 then they came down in a lot of markets for a period of three four five years but not all mm -hmm. markets came down the same way and then they went back up and in the last few years they passed where they were in 2008 and they're higher but as a, as a relation against the M2 money supply in the US, they haven't kept up that pace. Like the M2 money supply in the US has grown a lot faster, but real estate prices kind of went down and came back up. And part of the reasons for that is that it's not just money supply alone that affects the prices of things like real estate. What also affects the prices are yeah. access to credit. So when the banks don't allow you to, so if they say, Aiden, if you walk into the bank here, and, you know, there was a period in 2008 that you could have a 20% down payment and the U.S. banks were like, sorry, not interested in lending to you. So they might be growing the money supply like crazy in the U.S. to try to help the economy and pushing out a lot of new stimulus. And the money supply then is leaking out not through new mortgages. It's yeah. leaking out into the economy through new stimulus checks and new stimulus spending. Which also happened in mm -hmm. here. Which is all, yeah, which also happened here. So in that way, the money supply grew 
but it didn't hit real estate. Mm -hmm. Or interest rates could go up. So they could raise interest rates, but maybe if they raise interest rates, they're like, holy smokes, the economy's shrinking. We're gonna send out checks to all Canadians. And if they do that kind of stuff, real estate might not go up and the money supply can keep going up. Okay. Right. So there are very, it's not like a cut and dry thing. It's not, you, mm-hmm. you can't just say, oh, money supply went up and real estate's going to go up a hundred percent. It's just a good way to try to illustrate that you should own hard assets because over some period of time, when they keep printing new money, likely it's going to affect prices of hard assets at some point. Okay. So if you had to say what the hurdle rate was, would you then look at the price of housing increases across Canada? Would you, is that the hurdle rate? I think the the best way for us to look at it is not a specific thing like real estate, but if you look at the, 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 the biggest central banks in the world, which are Bank of Japan, the Federal Reserve, the Bank of England, and the European Central Bank, those are the considered the four biggest and most influential central banks in the world. Yeah. I mean, China's not in one of those four. Maybe it could be. But those four central banks for the last 10 years have increased their money supply of the issuance of currency 15.5% a year every year for the last 10 years. So to me, that's the cleanest way to look at it. It's like, wow. All of these central banks around the world mm-hmm. have increased their money supply every year on average, 15 and a half percent. that's crazy. Is that heavily skewed from last year with all the money printing from COVID? Specifically? Yeah, it's, it's a little bit skewed, but no, there was QE1 in the States, QE2. There was all this money printing yeah. done for the last 10 years. So no, it's not heavily skewed. It's pretty much the pretty, it, it's not even every year, Yeah, you know, but it is, has been about a, a, a 10 year, over a 10 year trend now. Yeah. And so when you see things like that, and then you just kind of think, well, now I think they're going to continue that. To me, it means for my family, Aiden, for your young life, Anthony, for your young life, if you guys do not earn in your investing, somewhere between, you know, 12, 15, maybe it's even 20%. Everyone yeah. argues about what that hurdle rate is. I would use 20. Just yeah, 20. <laughs> be it's conservative. Like if, if you don't earn over, you know, <clears throat> let's pick a middle number there, like 15% mm-hmm. on your, whatever you're investing in. So whether it be like some rookie cards yeah. that you're investing in, Bitcoin, real estate, whatever you're investing in, if it's not growing 15% a year, or at least over five, six, seven years at 15% a year, like maybe it'll be choppy, maybe one year it's zero, but then another year it's like 50%, something like that, who knows? But if you're not beating that, you're falling behind because they're stuffing more currency into the economy and it's devaluing the, the existing currency. Totally, and I think that's an important point to uh, emphasize as well. And because people, if you just, if you didn't know that before, you won't see that right away. You'll just see, oh, prices are going up. like. Yeah, so, it's, the, it's the most frustrating thing for me because I'll see headlines and I'll see like journalists who have a ton of experience in the finance sector. They'll start arguing a, around, you know, about the topic. Look at real estate prices. This is unsustainable. And I often think like, why are they talking about the symptom? Yeah, why aren't they talking about the money system? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I love that, Aiden. I've totally <laughs> brainwashed you into looking at the money. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Why aren't they looking at what causes these problems? you know, the cause of the problem, not the, instead of the symptom. Totally. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it gets kind of frustrating from my point of view. I always feel like we're wasting our time arguing about real estate prices by itself. We should fix the core of the problem. And the core of the problem is that we don't save money in this country. 
So what we do is we just fund all our spending with new money creation, which essentially destroys the middle class in the country, and we don't really address it. Yeah, but don't you think that's like a common sense kind of response to what's going on is if everything's going up in price, why wouldn't you buy the things that you want today instead of tomorrow when they're going to be more expensive? Like whether I think people consciously or unconsciously realize what's happening and like the cost of capital and the hurdle rate, I think unconsciously everyone acts like they know exactly what's going on. Things keep going up in price. So I think you fund it through debt, whether that's credit card debt or you stretch yourself on your mortgage because you know that next year that you probably won't be able to afford that same house. Yeah. Yeah, so you're saying that people just know prices are going up, so yeah. no one really saves, and everyone's like, screw it. I'm just going to buy whatever mm-hmm. I can buy now. Yeah. And I, th- you might have mentioned this, and Anthony probably knows this as well, but I guess the problem with that is because you can't save. It's difficult to save when your money is just worth, your purchasing power is decreasing every year. So yeah. I guess that's that's what you're yep. talking about. Yeah. Then like enters Dogecoin, and people are like, have to take a big swing <laughs> at bat to try and hit it out of the park because... They don't know what else to buy. They're, they're not professional investors. It's just regular people. Like I have friends who are buying Dogecoin and it's like, uh, I almost can't blame them. Like I do a little bit because you shouldn't be buying Dogecoin, but you can kind of blame them or so you can't really kind of blame them because they got like, it's better than saving. Like at least there's a shot of it going up. Yeah, I, I agree. I forget, Aiden, do, do any, any of your friends have Dogecoin? Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. really? Yeah. So, oh, okay. Some just small amounts kind of for fun. Some friends, you know, maybe you have too much in there, but yeah, yeah, yeah. no, definitely. And you're right. Like, I don't think you can blame anyone. I, I, it's tough mm-hmm. to blame anyone because everyone kind of, there's an, this kind of unconscious angst that you're not going to get ahead unless you swing for the fences. Like, mm-hmm. unless I hit it big on something, I'm really not going to hit my financial goals. And I really think that's like, a, that produces a bit of a moral decay in society. And I think a part, a big part of it comes from this understanding that most people look at the world with this context. They believe everything around them goes up in price and that the, they measure all these things in dollars. But the rookie cards go up in price and the real estate goes up in price and really anything you want goes up in price. <laughs> anything and, you want. Yeah, that's yeah the, basically. That's any, the key thing. Yeah, anything the things goes, you want most in yeah, life keep going yeah. up so, higher so, so the way I kind of try to break that out, and I don't think I do a good job of it yet, but it's it's like this. It's that, you know, the, it, most people look at the center of the economic activity in their lives as the Canadian dollar. And all the things around the Canadian dollar go up in price. But they measure their income, they measure their bank accounts, and they measure their net worth in Canadian dollars and everything around the Canadian dollars goes up in price, everything, dental work, real estate, like we said, vacations, whatever they're doing goes up in price. And the world I wanna live in is a world in which the money goes up in price or up in value and all the things around the money go down in price. I wanna flip the script entirely Mm -hmm. so that the vacations you wanna take, the real estate that you wanna purchase, any of the services, the clothes that you want to buy, they keep going down in price and the value is the currency and that currency or that money goes up in value all the time. And whenever you suggest that to, to anyone, they're always like, well, that can never work. There's just not, you know, how, how can that work? And I'm like, well, what do you mean how can that work? 
why can't it work? Have you heard about Bitcoin? Well, yeah, but it doesn't have to be Bitcoin because as soon as you say Bitcoin, everybody will get a little bit like the opinions on it are so extreme. It's like you either love it or you hate it. It could be anything. It could, but the, the, the idea is that the true economic measure isn't manipulated. Mm-hmm. And because the Canadian dollar is so manipulated by its creation every day by the central bank here in Canada, and by the government here in Canada, it's not a good representation of Aiden's work. It's not a good representation of your work because it keeps losing value. So if Rockstar pays you, and which we do in Canadian dollars, if you don't quickly take those Canadian dollars and buy something of worth with them, every day that you hold on to them, they're worth less and less and less. Wouldn't it be great if you got paid in something, a form of money, and we could call it Bitcoin or not. Like It doesn't really matter to me. But wouldn't it be great that you're paid in a form of money where it goes up in value Mm -hmm. and that you could do something called savings? Yeah, 100%. And then the things that you want to buy go down in value? And the, the, the argument I'll get back on that is that, well, there's not enough. Let's use Bitcoin as an example. The argument I'll get back is, well, there's not enough Bitcoin, guys. Tom, there's not enough Bitcoin. I'm like, yeah, no, there's totally enough Bitcoin. It's just the price that you associate with the Bitcoin that makes it worth or not. Every Bitcoin can be divisible into 100 million Satoshis. If, if, each, Sato- if each Bitcoin is worth $100 million and the Satoshis are worth millions of dollars, a fraction of a Satoshi might be enough to buy, buy a burger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do, do, do you know what I mean? So it's, it's really just the, pri- the quote unquote price that you assign the money represented in goods and services that makes this work or not. It's the same argument people have against the gold standard. If you read a lot of economists, they will argue, well, the gold standard can never work. The gold standard can work. It's just the price that you assign to the gold that will make it work. If it's high enough value, there's more than enough gold to represent the whole economy and allow for growth. Mm -hmm. Listen, and I'm no PhD economist. This is just my own view. But, But that's the world I want to live in. Flip the script. Instead of the money going down in value and all the goods and services going up, Let's just flip it around. Money goes up in value and all the good services go down. Yeah. Then you can save and accumulate for the future. Isn't it weird that we have like... sounds good. Yeah. And isn't it weird that we have like bank accounts where you can go and open a checking account and savings account? Like imagine Aiden at 19 years old. He goes into the bank and they're they're like, well, Aiden, um, okay, you're going to have a checking account. And I think that's what they still call it even. First of all, I don't know who wins. I don't know if Aiden's ever written a check in his life, but that's your checking account. That's the account you're going to spend from. And then there's this thing called the savings account. And we're going to pay you 0.003% interest on this thing. And that's where you're going to put your savings. There was a time where savings actually earned a solid interest, interest rate. And that's why they had savings account. In today's world, the money's been so bastardized does any of your friends think, you know what, Aiden, I'd like to report to you that in my savings account, I have really been making the use of that savings account and I'm loading up because of the interest rate is so good. I'm just going to keep saving yeah. and I'm going to make money from my savings yeah, account. Yeah, no. Yeah, no one talks about that stuff. And is yeah. just going back to the way you were saying flipping the way everything is now and the money, the value of the money is going up, is that the way it was like centuries ago in Medici? Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, there, there have been periods of time through history. So what Aiden's referring to, if you're just listening to this, is that the Medici family in Florence is responsible for, a lot of people think it's responsible for, pulling Europe out of the Dark Ages. So Rome fell because Rome had good hard money. Rome had nice gold coins. 
And then Rome started spending too much money and they had to clip their gold coins and it was mm-hmm. causing inflation. You know, they, I think they even reminted some of those gold coins and started putting copper in them and stuff. And Rome ultimately fell because, and everyone argues the different reasons, but they were taxing their citizens so much, which reminds me of what's about to happen to Canadians over the next 10 years. But they were yeah. taxing their citizens so much that people just started leaving Rome and the tax base just dried up. And people went back to like farming land and giving some of the profits from the land to feudal lords and feudalism returned in that area and Rome collapsed. And then for hundreds of years, there was no real good economy until the Medici family in Florence minted a gold coin and they minted many of these gold coins of equal size and weight so that people could trust each other again and say, oh, Aiden, I would like to buy some of your hay Here's a gold coin for it. And everyone knew that that gold coin was the same as another gold coin from the Medici and that this economic trust was built and economic activity really flourished in Florence. And then Venice copied with their Ducat. They came out with a Ducat, similar kind of thing. And economic in Italy, economic activity in Italy really started returning and it kind of just propagated through Europe. So there have been periods of time, and, and there's lots of examples of this, where this happens throughout centuries, where the world goes through forms of hard money, where everyone's using, and then forms of soft or unsound money. And we kind of go up and down. In the last hundred and some odd years, we've been in this unsound money. So our lives are in a period of time where there's unsound money. So it's a long way to answer your question that, yeah, there have been periods of time where we've had no central banks and we've had honest, hard money. And the last time that we had that here would be late 1800s and even into the early 1900s in Canada. Our money, if you, if you go to a stamp or like a collectible store, you'll walk in and you'll see currency from like the 1920s and it will say, this is a banknote from the Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce, or this is a $5 banknote from the Royal Bank of Canada. And what that was, that was a receipt to like gold deposit that you had at the bank. And then, uh, you know, the, what happened in this country is the Bank of Canada started to take over the currency and said, oh, forget about all that stuff. We are now the issuer of currency in here, just like the Federal Reserve that was formed in 1913 in the U.S., and, you know, don't worry about the central, uh, sorry, Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce notes and the Royal Bank of Canada bank notes. That's all being phased out. We, the Bank of Canada, are now the issuer of currency in this country. To me, it's the biggest scam of all time. <laughs> yeah. And that savings account example of like the 0.0033, whatever they're paying you, it goes back to that hurdle rate, which is if it's 15%, then that's more than 1% a month that you're bleeding out. Yeah. Yeah, but your like, savings like, account is paying you, you know, 0.0033. So it's like, <laughs> nobody yeah. knows that. Yeah, no one knows that. I, I, yeah, it, it, and I think everyone just kind of looks around and, and wonders why they're falling behind. Mm-hmm. It's kind of almost why we talk about real estate. Real estate's not really the most fun thing to deal with. It's not the easiest thing to buy. You have to give the bank all your financial documents. You have to save up a down payment. You have to have a good credit score. It's like, it, basically, it's a big pain in the ass. Mm-hmm. But it's only it's one of the very few ways where you can kind of outcompete the central banks of the money printing and can get ahead. But yet no one talks about that in school. Every everyone will leave not only high school and university with literally no one talking talk about this unless somebody mm-hmm. gave them the book Rich Dad Poor Dad or somebody gave them a book about money and how money is created. Yeah. 
you leave school and you just don't have a clue. Mm-hmm. And then you work for five or six years earning a set income. And then you start looking around and you wonder, why am I not really getting, why can I barely? I haven't, I haven't gotten anywhere. I haven't gotten anywhere. I can barely yeah. pay for a vacation. Yeah. I know I get crazy about this stuff. You guys talk to me about something else. It must be driving you crazy now. No, it's true. And uh, especially if you're, if you're a young person, like all my friends right now are trying to buy their first house or, you know, trying to move out with the girlfriend or you know, they're going to be getting married soon and stuff. And, uh, you know, they're asking me, should I save up 20% for a down payment? And I'm like, I don't, by the time you save that up, like what's real estate prices going to be at on the current tear that we've been on for what, 30, 40 years. So I'm like, no, just save up for 5% and just get whatever you can and just hold on. You're going to pay the mortgage insurance. And this is just my personal advice that I give to my friends, my age. Because things are moving so quickly. And I'm like, you're going to fall behind if you don't get in now. Yeah, I mean, someone listening to this who doesn't know us might think that's like the most dangerous advice ever. Like, just load up on debt and get in. Mm-hmm. And I think you're right, though. The, mm-hmm. the threat to that is that if someone takes on, you know, a bunch of debt and they don't have the income where they can pay for it, they could get themselves into a problem if they can't make that mortgage payment. So let's let's like give both sides of the fence here that... I agree with you 100%. It's mm-hmm. just everyone has to go in eyes wide open, understanding that you have this mortgage obligation. And if you don't meet it, you're going to suffer. Yeah, there's a risk factor. Yeah. yeah, yeah, there is a risk factor to it. But mm-hmm. I agree with you, especially at the pace at which money's being created right now. Anyone here can just Google up Canada money supply or, or Canada M2. Just look at the chart. And that's the pace of new money that's stuffed into the system. And the way I like to look at the chart is just... Picture that chart upside down, and that's the value of your money going down. Yeah, that's a great visual when you do flip that upside down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just flip, Google up Canada M two, and then just in your mind flip it upside down, and that's the value. That's how fast your money is going down. Mm -hmm. You know, and and I think that's why when we get all kind of hot and heavy about things like gold and real estate and now Bitcoin, people kind of get a little crazy on us because they're like, "Would you just guys? Would you just stop talking about this kind of stuff, especially Bitcoin? We're here to learn about real estate or." you know, something else. And, and what I don't think most people who are new to us understand is that we're more about living life on your terms than anything else. And to do that, you need to understand money and investing. So you need to understand all these concepts. It's not just to focus in on real estate solely, right? And, and, and recently, Bitcoin's come to the scene. So it's why we've been talking about Bitcoin so much and why I talk to you guys about Bitcoin yeah. so much. So uh, anyway. yeah. Even when the Bitcoin prices come down as much as it has with the China, what are, what's all the FUD right now? The latest FUD is uh, energy. It's an energy waste. China, first it was China it has all China, the mining, so it's bad. Yeah. Now it's the Chinese miners are leaving, so that's bad. So yeah. we're in the middle of like the ultimate kind of FUD of, of Bitcoin's kind yeah. of one totally. year. If you've only been following for one year, this is like a one year kind of max FUD era. Yeah, you can't win with the FUD. No, you can't. You no. can't win right now. And then anyone who said they're going to wait for a dip, well, here's your dip. Yeah, yeah. So. It's, it's funny how everyone is, right? Yeah, you think you're going to buy when the price is down. You have to have such conviction in something like Bitcoin because, to me, it's a form of money because the architecture of the technology is so beautiful. Like the architecture of the technology is that it's very secure. It has over ten years now where we can see this. This network doesn't go down. Its uptime is like whatever it is. It's like almost 100%, 99.9-something mm-hmm. percent yeah. uptime. It has a 10-year history of being secure, meaning no one's really hacked this thing. 
So we have like this architecture and no one controls it. It's this anonymous thing that runs based on an algorithm on the internet. And it almost is like it's living and breathing because when the miners in China go away, the difficulty adjustment changes so that every two weeks it makes it harder to generate a new Bitcoin. So if there's less computers mining it, you can't just make more Bitcoin because there's less competition. The difficulty adjustment changes so that you can only make new Bitcoin every 10 minutes when a new block is created. So the, the technical architecture of this thing yeah. has the only thing I've seen so far that is a digital scarce thing. Mm -hmm. And it seems like we get to witness the birth of a new form of money because the best money over history, from my understanding of my own personal research, has been whatever is scarce and has characteristics where it, some of the terms, I like how Saifedean breaks it out, where he says that money needs to be saleable across space, meaning it's easy to transport. It has to be saleable across scales, meaning it's easily and uniformly divisible. That's why gold coins were really good because you could break, or silver, yeah. you could break it up into equal pieces and everyone would trust that like one ounce of gold is one ounce of gold and you could trade it really easily and that kind of thing. And it has to be saleable across time meaning that it has to keep its value across time. And when I see those characteristics of the best forms of money, it used to be gold. And now we're entering, I feel like more and more of a digital world. And the first thing that's going to have these characteristics in the digital space seems to be Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Bitcoin just, uh, the more you kind of learn about it and fall down the rabbit hole, just has a way of sucking you in. And it's just, I think all the different aspects of Bitcoin, like, the engineering of it, the monetary, uh, you know, issuance, like the difficulty adjustment, the computer engineering, like all the FUD, like the geopolitical implications, like all these different areas just make for like the most interesting thing ever. And I think once you fall, fall down that rabbit hole, something about it, you just can't stop thinking about it. And not in like, a, oh, I love money kind of way, but like, it's just, I don't know, it's a crazy ride. And uh, you learn so much. I've never learned so much about energy usage, about gas flaring and oil fields and uh, renewables, all this Elon Musk FUD. So it's just like the philosophy behind Bitcoin, the capital accumulation, the Austrian economics. There's so many different avenues that it kind of marries together, which is really cool. Yeah, I think a few years ago, I was a really nervous for the younger generation, like people of your age. You know, Aiden, you being 19, Anthony, I always forget you just turned 26 now. Yeah, 26. You're an old guy now, yeah. 26. Uh, for, for you guys, because in the back of my mind, and I think many people my age have had those conversations about their children. Like, holy shit, what the hell's going to happen to our kids? Because like, how are they going to afford anything? Everything keeps going up, especially how, a house, which is like a primary need for everybody, shelter, right? Mm -hmm. And now I feel like there's a lot of exciting opportunity all of a sudden, because I feel like if you can understand some of this new digital evolution that's evolving here, which which you guys naturally already do, yeah. and will grow up through your formative years, which is right now with this stuff, the opportunities that are going to grow around the space are phenomenal. Phenomenal. I, I want to explain something. When when I first kind of looked at this whole Bitcoin space, I ran to Nick and I said, "Holy shit, Nick, we have to get into this because." I've seen a few big trends in my life that have paid off handsomely for us. One of the biggest trends that I, I noticed was that when I joined Oracle in 1998, Larry Ellison, the billionaire owner of Oracle, sent a big email out slamming Bill Gates. 
And the email basically said, Bill Gates is stupid. They used to hate each other. And he literally talked like in this manner. It was like, Bill Gates is stupid. I don't know if he used the word stupid, but it was something around that. And it basically said, he's got, he's got computing all messed up. No one should install software on their computer and have IT people run around updating your computer. Everything should be through a browser. And he called it, he didn't call it like cloud-based computing or internet computing. He called it network computing architecture. I'll never forget. NCA. And I remember reading that email thinking, the guy's freaking right. I'm in tech support here at Oracle and it sucks having to up, help people update the servers in the in the main computer room. Yeah. But then also you would have to go and be like, Aiden, you are the computer guy on site at like DuPont or Royal Bank or whatever company, some media company, can you go around to the hundred computers that are in the offices there and then now also update the software on all 100 computers? It was ludicrous. Nick yeah. actually had a job at the Region of Peel essentially doing that. And when Larry Ellison wrote that out and he said, this will be the trend over the next five years, I instantly thought, this guy's 100% right. Like I felt fortunate to be able to read an email from like a smart kind of like thought leader yeah. in the computing space. And that trend proved to be 100% accurate. Mm -hmm. Microsoft got killed on client-server stuff and it went to web-based computing. And Microsoft managed to reinvent itself a little bit, especially with gaming and stuff, and it kind of survived that big trend change. But Oracle just kind of dominated through that with a lot of its enterprise software because it, it all went to web-based. So that was a big trend. And I personally benefited because my income was tied to what was going on at Oracle. Oracle was growing, so my income kind of benefited from that. That's another way to be close to the money, actually, Anthony to be mm -hmm. in industries where they're getting the benefit of a current economic trend. Yeah. yeah right? So and that's one way to answer your question from before. And so the next trend, I was explaining this to Nick in the whole Bitcoin thing. I'm like, okay, saw that trend, couldn't really economically participate other than being in the industry myself. The next trend was cloud computing, where the internet web-based stuff really was taking off. There was a company called NetSuite that said, forget just accessing your online banking personally through the web. We're going to take companies' entire inventory, their entire customer relationship management stuff, like how we use Infusionsoft, yeah. their entire accounting, and we're going to put it all into the internet. And the whole company will just log in through a browser to get everything they need for their entire company. And we're going to wipe out the computer room. Because you, might, you guys might not know this, but before with companies our size, there would be an electrical room like we have here, but it would be full of like 18 computers. It would be running our accounting software, our email server. Like email wasn't web-based like we yeah, have now. Yeah. It would be running all our yeah. software. That was not that long ago. And then that trend, when I saw that trend and ran over to NetSuite and started seeing people buying, when I first joined NetSuite, if you made a, it was called an 1188 special, 1,188. If you made an 1188 special sale, that was for one user of the software, that was like a win. Net, everyone at NetSuite was like, wow, okay, pretty good. You sold a user, that's great, 1188. By the time I left, we were making $40,000 sales. That was in a period of like two years. So that trend just catapulted NetSuite from like nothing to going public on the New York Stock Exchange for a billion dollars because everybody kind of rode that trend. So I kind of saw that trend uh, of, of web-based computing in Oracle, then it really taking off at NetSuite. And then another trend, if I reflect back on, was low interest rates over the years 2008 to 2020. That just benefited real estate incredibly. We happened to dive into the real estate world, like full force. We already owned rental properties before 2008 but we've created this business. And Rockstar, there's no doubt, has benefited from a trend of <clears throat> low interest rates basically forever. Yeah. So now this next trend's coming in, which is Bitcoin. 
And I look at this trend, it's reminding me so much of the internet because all the fun, did you know there was a, there was, um, there was something um, posted recently by someone on Twitter and it said, it, the headline was, U.S. Postal Service thinks that email is going to destroy um, electrical usage in America and it's better for all Americans to send letters instead of sending email. Yeah, some energy yeah. fund. Some energy yeah, the fund. The same thing yeah. you see with the Bitcoin, yeah. Yeah, the exact same. It's like the same kind of argument. So yeah. the fact that you see energy use FUD, and then uh, what is it? You, oh, you can't trust. You can't trust and, Bitcoin. And that was on the assumption that email had no value. Yeah, uh, yeah, that was on the assumption. And that's like the assumption now that Bitcoin has no value. Same thing. It's brand new, so people are kind of a little bit scared of it. So everybody's like... Uh, Everybody's a bit, yeah, everyone's kind of saying, you know, stay away from it. Can't trust it. It's not tested yet. Um, yeah. Sorry, I'm looking at my email here because I had that. Mm -hmm. um, I don't have it handy. I wanted to show you guys. But but basically, that was some of the headlines. It was it was around energy, can't be trusted. And the other FUD was only used for porn. Yeah. Anyone on the internet's only doing porn. And then the other thing was criminal activity. Yeah, all the same as Bitcoin. I don't think the porn one has gone away. Yeah, no, the porn one's not gone away. <laughs> Most of the but, it, but, it, but what are the arguments against Bitcoin right now? It's energy. Yeah. Um, it's used for, I, I don't know if it's used for paying for porn stuff. I'd imagine somewhere it is. Yeah, well, like it had all the criminal, the criminal, criminal FUD, activity. The criminal FUD with Silk Road. Yeah, and, like, and, yeah, and yeah. you can't really trust it because there's this China thing and mm -hmm. all this yeah. stuff. I'm like, oh my gosh. The arguments I see today against Bitcoin are literally the exact yeah. same arguments I saw against email and the internet. So when I see everyone kind of looking at this, to me, it means their understanding of money is very superficial and they don't understand the concepts that we discuss. Like, and I, I can't take credit for this. It was, it was uh, Seyfedina Moose in the Bitcoin standard book that really introduced me to them, mm -hmm. that, that Bitcoin had these things that were like money where it's saleable across space, saleable across time and saleable across scales. And that anything had these characteristics were a form of money and the market will freely choose what money is. That governments can't really force it forever. Mm -hmm. The market will dictate what object yeah. becomes money. And if it has these characteristics, it's likely to be, to be money. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's so interesting. So just to kind of summarize the whole trends thing, it's like the Bitcoin thing is this other trend that's evolving right now. And so many people are going to dismiss it in my, this is purely my take. I don't have a crystal ball, but I'm like, wow, this looks like something evolving here. All of this decentralized finance that's being built on top of this stuff is exploding. And it's like another world is being built, just like the internet was being built. Yeah. And for mm -hmm. you guys to be able to participate in now and the younger generation to be in this now, I feel like it's going to fuel your opportunities, your income, your ability to save and prosper. So yep. like I'm super pumped about it. Yeah. And you don't know where it's going to go. To your analogy that you've used before of an analog paper map versus a Google Maps application on your phone where you can get live traffic data, you can get... Uh, you know, stops along the way of whatever restaurants, hotels, you can get the reviews, you can get uh, with ways you can see where cops are parked on the road, traffic hazards on the road, you can get a live detour. And you can kind of compare all of those purposes to an analog paper map. And you can, I mean, nobody could have predicted that the internet would have completely made paper maps irrelevant compared to these phone applications. Like nobody was really predicting smartphones. 
except for maybe the sovereign individual guys, but nobody could have just seen, you know, everything that evolved because of that trend. And you're right. I feel like it's the same way with Bitcoin. Like nobody knows what's in store because you just can't picture it yet. It hasn't been yeah, built we're yet. just so early. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I No one can figure this stuff out yet, but it, it's going to be interesting. Like for us to send money over to our cousins in Croatia there, uh, we had a washroom in our condo over there leak and they had to fix the washroom for us. And to send them payments, always a bit of a pain, you know, like go to the bank and you know, say, hi, I want to wire euros. And then the bank president like, oh, do you have a euro account? We're like, no. Like, oh, if you want to wire euros, but you don't have a euro bank account, okay, we got to get like special approval and you're gonna have to buy the euros. We'll host it in one of the bank's accounts while we're wiring it. And you're like, okay, no problem. You go through that. They kind of rip you off on some major fees for the purchasing euro. Not that I'm not willing to pay a fee for service, but I mean, it seems very high for what's actually happening. Then they're like, okay, it should be there in like three to five business days. And I ask, well, how will I know it gets there? And they're like, well, you really kind of, we can't tell you. You're just gonna have to like call your cousin. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Then I wait a couple of days and I call my cousin Goran. I'm like, Goran, did the money get there? He's like, oh, I don't know. I gotta go to the bank in Omish. This is a little town. And he goes to the bank in Omish. A couple more days pass. He probably forgets to tell me. I call him, Goran, did the money get there or not? He's like, oh <laughs> yeah. yeah, I forgot to tell you the money got there. And it's like, holy crap, all of this was yeah. to send a few thousand bucks over mm -hmm. to Europe. And the worst part is they ask you what it's for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you're a criminal. Yeah. Why are you sending these euros? I was like, what do you mean? What am I spending these? I guess like a few thousand euro. What do you think I'm doing? Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. so uh, yeah, you have to like beg for them to, to send it. It's just a disaster. Yeah. But uh, I just want to re re take the opportunity to, to read this line because I think a lot of people are dismissing hard forms of money and specifically uh, Bitcoin. And there's this thing that's at the bottom of page 33 and top of page 34 of the Bitcoin standard. I love it because it's talking about how China went on a silver standard when America and Britain went on a gold standard. And when America and Britain went on a gold standard, gold is a harder form of money than silver. So a lot of the monetary value went from silver to gold because there was less gold in the world. It was more scarce to find and increase the supply of. So a lot of value went to gold so that when priced in goods and services, when priced in gold, gold went up in value a lot more than silver did. And a lot of the power globally went to America and, and Britain because of this. And this allowed these countries to do a lot of conquering and a lot of fund a lot of wars and the whole bit. We could all argue whether they were really good with what they did with that or not. But China lost a lot of its power and India specifically because they were on a, a silver standard for much longer than, than uh, Britain and, and the US. And in this chapter of the book that's describing this, it says that, you know, you can't really ignore hard money or sound money. And, he, and here's the couple sentences. It's, uh, he, Seyfedean says, this is a historical lesson of immense significance and should be kept in mind by anyone who thinks his refusal of Bitcoin means he doesn't have to deal with it. History shows it is not possible to insulate yourself from the consequences of others holding money that is harder than yours. And when I read that, it kind of hit me. I'm like, holy shit. Wow. You know, like we can all laugh at Bitcoin and just, you can dismiss it. Yeah. But over the next 10 years, it might be the biggest mistake of your, of your lives. Totally. Or, 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 and, and, or yeah, not, like yeah. we don't have the crystal ball. You have to do your own research on mm -hmm. this. Don't let us three sitting here uh, influence anyone listening. Well, and, and, you definitely should not yeah, take our word And from for an it. outsider yes. that maybe isn't into it as much or doesn't know much about it, because you're seeing the headlines of like, oh, China's banning mining and 
it's bad for the environment and stuff like that. But um, it's like, yeah, we were saying with the other trends, it's the same stuff you hear. And also, I guess, for someone that doesn't know a lot about it, the volatility of it is huge. Um, so I think yeah. you're right. You're hitting, because that's what scares people. Because one day they see it's like, oh, it's 50,000 US and you're just counting all your winnings. And then it's like, oh, next day it's to 30,000 yeah, US. Yeah, they're like, it's like, too volatile. I can't put my money into this. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the, also, I just wanted to touch on the environmental thing, just because... Um, we mentioned it a couple times, but um, it's not, well, I guess what we were, we saw this in El Salvador. Now they're going to be so, basically a ton of the renewable energy is going to be used to be mining Bitcoin. And you can now mine Bitcoin um, using energy from the volcanoes over there. So um, I can't remember what percentage of, of renewable energy is being used to mine Bitcoin right now, but that number is just growing. Um, and the environmental FUD is definitely not, kind of as bad as what people are saying it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, anyone who does some research into I think Nick Carter has some good articles breaking that down, but I love what you just said about the volcanoes because the president of El Salvador is like, to all the energy people who are worried about Bitcoin's energy usage, how about I use pure steam from my volcanoes yeah. to, 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 uh, to drive some of yeah. this computing power? And, and who has a response to that? Yeah, That's pure clean energy, right? Even even the uh, the uh, the facilities where they're using thermal energy from these volcanoes, which sounds hilarious to me for some reason, the smoke that you see coming out—it's not even like dirty smoke; it's steam. Yeah, yeah. Like it's just pure clean. Yeah, energy. those videos yeah. are crazy. Yeah, 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 yeah. If you haven't googled him up on Twitter, I don't know. It's, I, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but the president of El Salvador is worth following right now because he's got some crazy stuff about Bitcoin. Um, something else I just wanted to mention to you guys is that a lot of people your age, when I was your age would jump around from thing to thing trying to make money. And they would say, okay, well, you know what? I've done a little bit of real estate. No more money to be made here. I'm going to jump over here because I heard there's quick money to be made in this stock thing or this, uh, you know, uh, this, this e-commerce thing or this website thing or whatever it is. And I've learned looking back on my own life, there is money to be made in everything. Mm -hmm. It's just how much time do you want to spend mastering something? Your financial reward doesn't come from chasing money, from my observation of life. It comes from your mastery of something of value. So that if you can have the skills that the marketplace is rewarding at a current time, so if you match your skills to trends, you know, we talked about there's different trends. Mm -hmm. So right now, the biggest trends I see are cheap money, which is going to drive things like real estate and a new digital finance kind of being created. If you can match your skills to that, those two trends, holy smokes, the world is your oyster. Whereas most people will just kind of jump around. So it's important to really double down on your skill development. What skills are you going to be good at? So if I look at Nick and I, we got good at, at things like first um, computer stuff. Nick took a computer program uh, in college. Um, I did it after university. And then we went into sales, which was another huge skill for us. So computers, then sales, and then real estate. And then on the real estate one, we just doubled down and started a brokerage. So yeah. like we just went deep. And every other time, because I started like five or six other money-making things when Aiden was born. Yeah. I had like a little website. I was always I was chasing the money. I was like, mm -hmm. oh my God, I'll create this e-commerce website with some search engine optimization. I'll sell some stuff online and I'll just make a crap load of money. Mm -hmm. But every time I chased the money, it never came. Instead, when I just sat down, I said, okay, what am I, I going to put the stake in the ground for for my life? And what am I deciding I'm going to be a master of? 
And when I took that approach, the money really started to come. Did you consciously do that with real estate? With real estate, yeah, I did because I was freaking out about the age of 31 because uh, I still hadn't quit my job and I've been wanting to, I want, I started, uh, I start, I got married at 26. I think I started working at Oracle at 26. And by the time um, I was like 31 uh, or 32, sorry, no, I guess, no, I was already working at Oracle earlier. I think I started working at Oracle in 1998, whatever age I was then. It was March 1998. Um, so maybe 25 or something like that. And then uh, by the time I was like, th- and I wanted to quit my job then at 29, but then by the time I was like 31 or 32, I was freaking out because I had read motivational books for like five or six or seven years at that point. And I was reading all these success stories about like people living their ideal life and, you know, you can do anything you want and the world is your oyster. Yeah. Like, you know, all those like kind of personal development yeah. type books. But I felt like I was reading all these books, but I wasn't actually like getting anywhere, even though I'd started a few business attempts. Mm-hmm. And so I, fi- I literally consciously had the thought. I said, everyone that I've ever read about that has some freedom, it becomes from some amount of wealth. And that wealth seems to involve real estate in many of the cases. I already own some rental properties. Nick already owns some rental properties. Screw it. I'm just going to put my stake in the ground. I literally had this thought. I'm just going to put my stake in the ground and declare to myself and everyone around me that we are going to do this real estate thing. And I'm going to build a business around helping investors. And that's what we stand for. And that's what we're all about. Mm -hmm. And I'm jamming my stake in the ground and announcing to the world that that's what my life is going to be about. Helping, and the Your Life, Your Terms message, message wasn't there initially. It came a few years later. It came from, it was probably there. It you was there, but we had, had, uh, you know, verbalized it, being able to put it into words. Yeah. Yeah. And articulated it. And then that's when everything changed. Yeah. Hmm. So for you guys, just skill development, what skills is the marketplace rewarding? How can you develop those skills further? And there's some common skills that always are rewarded. It's, it's kind of like, how resourceful are you? If somebody throws a problem your way, are you able to find a solution to it? Can you find 10 solutions to it or zero? How resilient are you? If shit doesn't go your way, do you just break? Or are you able to handle it? What kind of sales skills do you have? Sales is like universally rewarded and it has, it often gets a bad rap, but when done properly in integrity, sales is like a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. So there's these like common skills. Yeah, totally. And probably communication could go along with that as well. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Oral and written communication. How great are you at those two things? Yeah. Those are common things to kind of double down, down on. And then the rest of thing, uh, the rest of everything else breaks down into principle, strategy, and tactics. So for example, when you look at a business for you guys, a lot of people right now will look at new businesses and they'll just talk tactics. Oh, buy Dogecoin, start a Instagram <laughs> account, go on TikTok. Those are tactics. You want to go above tactics and above tactics when it comes to making money is strategy. So a strategy would be like, Hey, we're going to go on TikTok. But we're going to do these three things so that we maximize our attention and we collect revenues. So uh, somebody like Logan Paul and Jake Paul, I would feel they're above a lot of their competitors are at the tactic level, but they're at the strategic level where they're like, hey, we're going to do this, this and this. We're going to start a podcast. We're going to go have these boxing fights to leverage our audience and make money and they're strategically yeah totally those guys have been the masters at marketing themselves masters yeah and that's actually another universal skills marketing so yeah thank you and then but above the strategy so if you go tactics 
strategy. Then above that is principles. And the principles are things like, are you using personality in your marketing and in your business? Because universally, personality, when threaded into a business, helps that business. Mm -hmm. Are you looking at things like the lifetime value of your customers? Instead of just making one transaction, what is the lifetime value of a person to Jake Paul and Logan Paul when they come into their world? So like things like uh, using personality, lifetime value of a customer, follow-up. How, how often are you going to be communicating with your audience? Another, uh, another big principle is building an audience. Are you, forget about TikTok, Instagram, how many followers you have. Do you understand that a principle in all of business is having your own audience that likes and trusts you? And once you understand these big principles, then you can say, okay, how are we going to, what strategies are we going to yeah, put in yeah. place? Like, is our strategy going to be like a couple of TikToks a week and then lead people to our online store and then we'll follow up with them repeatedly until they buy something of value? And do we offer good stuff out of integrity? Because that's another principle. So what, you know, what are the strategies that we're going to use for those principles? And then lastly is the tactics, actually choosing YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, email, podcasting as mm-hmm. the way to achieve all these things. Yeah. Is that being clear at all? Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, yeah. I think so. You have to start with the big picture stuff and then. Yeah. And it's yeah. tough to understand some of these principles. It's why we like Dan Kennedy so much. He was one of the few marketers that really started at that high level and said, hey, listen, here are the principles that you need to understand. And then layer in the strategy of how, how you you're broke it down. Yeah. He broke it down so beautifully. Whereas everyone else we were learning from was just like, go on Facebook and get a lot of likes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like once you really understand those principles, once you understand the high-level stuff, once you build those skills like communication, marketing, those kind of universal things like sales, then it's like just pick an industry, like something you care about. Totally. totally. It yeah, feels yeah. that way. I agree. I agree. It's going to be fascinating to see what happens to you two over the next 10 years. Yeah. 10 years is not that long. I mean, you're going to be 36. You're going to still be super young. Aiden's going to be 29. And I feel like the next 10 years, so much is going to change. Mm-hmm. It's exciting time for you guys. You, you literally have so much opportunity in front of you right now. It's, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I like that you say that because a lot of people just kind of poo poo on millennials, you know, future that's, they're like, Oh, you can't afford real estate. You can't buy this. You can't do that. You're living in your parents' basement. It's like, Okay. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. All these things are true. <laughs> you might be right. You know, but I like the people that are like, okay, well, you know, you all have smartphones in your pockets. They're like supercomputers, you know, that we didn't have when we were your age. You can start a business from your phone, like in the bathroom, like after work, before work. Like you have all these other opportunities that are available. You have, you know, Amazon, Amazon e-commerce selling. You have things like Bitcoin, like that's a massive trend that you can hop on. You just have to educate yourself to get that conviction to survive the highs and lows. So yeah, I do think there is a lot of opportunity for, for millennials, even though there's stuff working against you, but there is, there's stuff working against every generation and there's stuff working for every generation. Yeah, totally. That's a good way to look at it. Yeah. So like just identify those, what's going for you and just focus on that. Yeah, here, here, man. Yeah, well yeah. said. I agree 100%. Yeah. It, and it's freaky. Like, I think 5G is not really out. Is 5G out in Canada? Yeah, a, a I have it on my phone. Oh, how do you have it on your phone? Mine's newer. Oh, is it? And yeah. do you notice a difference? No. Oh, okay. 
<laughs> everything I was going to say is killed on that. But listen, I think after 5G, uh, 6G is like mm-hmm. the next one that I've read is coming out at, at some point. What happens like 10 years from now when the mobile network, you know, we all still have to plug in like at home. We still have kind of Bell 5. Yeah, yeah. And all what happens when the mobile network is like so ubiquitous and so everywhere and so fast that, you know, this, this Bitcoin node that I'm running here, mm-hmm. what happens if there's an ability just to have like a, a Bitcoin node as almost like an app on part of a secure cell phone that Aiden carries around in his pocket that is a yeah. decentralized part <laughs> of a monetary network that Aiden just walks around with globally in his pocket that attaches to any network. What are the apps that are going to be built on top of that? Like we can't even picture no. that yet. Well, think about a cell phone 10 years ago versus cell phone now. Yeah. You can airdrop, Bluetooth, Google Maps, Spotify, re- stream any like, song that's ever been made ever. I used to have a flip phone and when people started texting me, I was getting annoyed because we had, all we had was the keypad. So to text back, you know, do you remember like you had to press like the number three, three times to get a certain letter yeah. or the number four? I don't know if you guys are probably yeah, yeah. too young to remember that stuff, but to text back, you just had the keypad and on every, like on the letter three, it was, you know, it was just like the letters like, I don't know, D, E, F mm-hmm. or whatever. And so you would have to like text back. It was so awkward to text people. And I honestly, I got frustrated. Mm-hmm. And then one day the iPhone just showed up or the Blackberry first. Yeah. And it changed everything. You're like, oh my gosh, this texting thing is like amazing. Yeah. And I ne- think I think something we see now that um, is kind of almost beginning because of the digital finance world, well, it is, um, and that there'll be opportunities for many is just NFTs and not necessarily like the the art, like the picture of the, whatever, the doge guy that's selling for millions, but more like how that can change the way everything is done, like through... Um, like a music, you're not going to have to have a music label. And then every time something's shared, uh, like that NFT is shared, you can get a, you know, whatever the piece of commission off of that is. Um, or I'm, I'm not even 100% sure how that's going to work. But, but I know that's can, possible and I know that's yeah. going to be a game changer for many people. And that'll work in many different ways. So that's just one of the things that we're already starting to see. Yeah, the tokenization. Yeah, and you're seeing that in like... Um, well, I guess you're seeing that in real estate already, like just buying a token of a, not a token, but a, a percentage of a property. And with $1, you can buy a... I think yeah, got, like what Addy's doing. And then yeah. I, you could do the same with, um, well, like Michael Jordan rookie cards are now worth whatever, hundreds of thousands of dollars. And people are buying that like hard assets because you can't make more of them. It's it's a hard asset. That's just, you know, different than than gold. You wouldn't think of it really. But um, you're able to buy now percentages of that, um, and that card's split up, and everyone owns a different percentage of that. And yeah. yeah, it's crazy to think I didn't I didn't know that. So I could buy a percentage of a Michael Jordan rookie card. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's when you think of it that imagine you had through some kind of NFT some type of access to Aiden, what you're saying, some new band or new pop singer that just blows up and you get part of the royalties through owning that. No middlemen, no nothing. You supported them through. Yeah, and even like, let's say I'm going to a, I'm going to the Stanley Cup finals, let's say, whatever. God, hopefully the Habs are not in the finals, but let's say I'm going to whatever, watching, watching the finals in wherever, Tampa. And let's say my ticket is an NFT and then I can then resell my ticket. That's an NFT as a collectible item because it's the Stanley Cup finals. Like there's so much opportunity and change that's going to happen with this kind of stuff that's going to be crazy to see yeah crazy yeah the efficiencies now are going to be crazy 
Because some of that stuff you could kind of sort of do before, but now it's just the speed at which you're going to be able to do what you're just describing is like going to be cr- Yeah, and I don't even understand the way that all of the NFTs and stuff is going to work. I just, I'm still learning as well, but it definitely seems like And that's the opportunity. Oppor- yeah, this there. is what it, the internet felt like to me when it was starting. Like the internet when it started, I knew, I literally knew someone who started a website that just had a daily joke that went emailed out. The daily joke got so popular that this person was able to quit their job and just that was their business. And everyone was like, how the heck is this internet thing working? Like this person just sends out jokes and they're making so much money from like their email list through advertising that they're able to like quit their job. Yeah. And I feel like that's where we are with NFTs. Like everyone's like, wait a second, how is this going to work? Totally. Yeah. And then you see like, okay, this could be a whole nother conversation, but Ethereum and just other cryptos and different stuff going on there. Yeah, totally. Like different layers of the ecosystem. It's, it's like the whole world in the, in that decentralized finance space yeah. is going to grow and there's going to be big winners and big losers. Totally. But there's opportunity in all of that, which is exciting. Yeah, 100%. Right. This, uh, this just reminded me of something when Aiden was telling me about his trading cards and stuff. Um, you know, he's telling me that like, whatever, a big athlete, call it Michael Jordan, his rookie card is worth a certain amount of money. And I was like, is that, is that only from a specific company though? Like, is that, is there just one trading card company that's creating these, you know, years ago or whatever? And he's like, yeah, it's like one or two or three companies. Yeah. Right? Basically there's like three big ones, but Panini is definitely the biggest. Cause I was like, well, what couldn't I just create like a cardboard card and, you know, call it my Michael Jordan yeah. thing. And is that not the exact same thing as Bitcoin versus all of these other coins? Yeah, no. And the, and the funny thing you see with cards is like, there's this thing called the base card is like their regular card. So if I get a rookie card, it's just a base card is their regular card, the regular card. And then, you know, there's colored ones that are more rare. But um, over the last couple of years, you've seen uh, Panini release more base cards. So they're inflating the base cards. So the value of base cards are going down because there's more of them. And it's the same thing you see with uh, like money. money. Yeah. The Canadian dollar. Totally. Yeah. Fascinating how it's represented everywhere. Yeah. The same principles. Cool, guys. Awesome. Thanks for doing this. Appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else you no, wanted to good. share? We'll wrap it. No. Yeah. Thanks a lot, guys. I had a lot of fun on this. Yeah, no, it was Thank good. You. Thank yeah. you. Hey, everyone. It's Tom again. So hopefully you enjoyed that. I feel like we're going to experiment with slightly longer podcasts with some guests just because of the last five or ten minutes of that one, it really, really felt like we were going to dive into some... I thought maybe a little deeper conversation or a little bit more loose of a conversation that I wanted to explore a little bit. And we kind of have been wrapping up these podcasts at the hour mark. So I don't think we're going to do it with every guest by any means, but with some guests, I think we're just going to let them go longer. We'll see how that goes. We'll see what the feedback is on that. And uh, yeah, we'll just kind of explore that. And if you are listening to this and you want to jump into some real estate training for yourself, to see how people are investing in real estate here in the greater Toronto and Golden Horseshoe area. You can grab yourself a spot at our next online virtual real estate training class by visiting canadianrealestatetraining.com. That's www.canadianrealestatetraining.com. Nick and I are on there for about an hour describing what we're doing with investors. Then we stick around for almost another hour um, answering questions. So that's how that class is structured right now. You can grab yourself a spot at canadianrealestatetraining.com. That's it for this episode. Until next time, your life, your terms.